Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 welcome back to the seth leapson show thursday february 29th 2024 hello mr bill you're looking like you're in fine fettle and young david welcome back and miss terry and the rest of you 602 sorry i've been hustling all day david you've been keeping up great do you know the song to the hustle? That's kind of from your era. Van McCoy. Yes, the and the Soul City Symphony. Good for you. Ain't it great? Yeah. yeah, good on you. 1976 or 7, maybe? I think 77 is the universally declared start of disco. So Sounds, I would imagine it was 77. It's either or the later. start or the end. I'm not sure which. Start. Was it? The start of disco. Really? Do we need to have this discussion right now? No. Saturday <laughs> no, Night Fever no, is no. widely considered to be the first disco album. Or the death knell. I'm not sure. Maybe go out with the hustle, huh? We're going to do it. All right. I want to do a little philosophy. In retrospection of some callers yesterday and the day before on saying we need to reteach what it means to be a Republican. And by the way, what does it mean anymore? To paraphrase William F. Buckley, whose passing this mortal coil we should have commemorated as it took place 16 years ago on Tuesday, wrote, he used to be often asked what it means to be a conservative or a Republican for our purposes. And he said sometimes the questioner of him, guarding against the windy evasiveness one comes to expect from lecturers, will add, preferably Give me the answer in one sentence. What does it mean to be a conservative? What does it mean to be a Republican? On which occasions I have replied, Buckley wrote, quote, I could not give you a definition of Christianity in one sentence, but that does not mean that Christianity is undefinable, close quote. Usually that disposes of the hopes of those who wish for a neatly packaged definition of conservatism or republicanism, which they can stow away. Here's the point. The Republican Party is one big, great historical thing with a rich and deep history, and it should do more than just survive, even just survive on vapors. It should thrive. Or I should say, especially just now, it should be thriving. And asking what is an anything, do we not, should we not go back to its origins, its original intent? As humans, we find in the Bible, for example, that the names of all we are supposed to take instruction from are known by their father and where they are from. The Republican Party does have an origin story, a beginning a first platform. It was born in 1856. And to nurture the analog a bit, four years later, it gave us our first Republican president, who in time would be known colloquially as Father Abraham. That platform of 1856, much of which was reincorporated into the platform of 1860, which elected Abraham Lincoln, postulated several resolutions, the first of which was this, quote, 
that the maintenance of the principles promulgated in the Declaration of Independence and embodying the federal constitution are essential to the preservation of our republican institutions and that the federal constitution, the rights of the states, and the union of the states must and shall be preserved. Close quote. The second resolution went on to incorporate and readopt the most famous parts of the Declaration of Independence into the platform. Much of this, as I say, is the same in the platform that gave us our first Republican president. Then both platforms concluded with something really interesting. Quote, We invite the affiliation and cooperation of the men of all parties, however differing from us in other respects, in support of the principles herein declared, and believing that the spirit of our institutions, as well as the constitution of our country, guarantees liberty of conscience and equality of rights among citizens, we oppose all legislation impairing their security. Close quote. The 1860 platform was close to that. It said, quote, having thus set forth our distinctive principles and views, we invite the cooperation of all citizens, however differing on other questions, who substantially agree with us in their affirmance and support, affirmance and support. Close quote. Note what is being said here, folks, that the Republican Party began with three notions. One, it was about preserving and protecting and restating the principles of our country's founding. Two, that the party was about opposing all those who would impair or thwart those principles. And three, the common sense of it all and how the common sense of it all should be appealing to almost universal support from any or every American. So what's changed? I would offer we, Republicans, our party has not changed. I would argue the opposing parties have. So much so that we no longer differ on opinions, as Thomas Jefferson sketched out in his first inaugural, but rather now we differ on principles. Principles as important as whether the Declaration of Independence and Constitution even matter anymore. Back in the day, the arguments were about opinions on how to distill and implement those principles. Today, the arguments are about whether those principles are even good anymore, worthy of opining about. Variegated ways to apply and implement them are out the window. After the Dred Scott decision, Abraham Lincoln gave a famous speech pointing out the, be pointing out the beginning of all this changing, pointing out the corruption of all this. He said, quote, in previous days, our Declaration of Independence was held sacred by all, close quote. But we had reached a point where, quote, it is assailed and sneered at and construed and hawked at and torn till if its framers could rise from their graves, they could not recognize it at all, close quote. We thought the subsequent war we fought, the Civil War, reestablishing the principles of those previous days that Lincoln spoke about, that the Declaration and Constitution's principles were not, uh, when, when we thought we had reestablished the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution's principles, when we won them back, when we re-entrenched them after the end of the Civil War, we thought that was the end of it. We thought, okay, we're good again. We fixed it. But that's how strong progressivism is. And we find ourselves now, at least intellectually and ideologically, back to the point at which Abraham Lincoln had to lament his point. 
Indeed, as Father Abraham would say later, our progress in degeneracy appears to be pretty rapid. With a rapid increasing pace, we who believe in the party that believes in the maintenance of our founding principles face questions and even sneering remarks about the values we stand for. Ever larger portions of the culture and our politics depict us as what, folks, backwards and wrongheaded. They try to convince that we are mean-spirited, greedy, prejudiced. Most of the national mainstream media news news organizations in the United States have a strong leftward bias now. They used to have a liberal bias. Now it's a leftward bias, and that includes ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, PBS, and NPR. It also includes influential newspapers like the New York Times and the Washington Post. Hollywood, likewise, is a famously left-wing place, and most of the television programs and movies it produces have the same bias. They carry messages that belittle the values and attack the institutions many Americans respect, messages such that, or like that family is a down-market commodity, religious people are nuts, and businessmen don't care about the poor or the environment. College campuses and increasingly elementary and secondary schools may be the worst of all. Left-wing professors dominate most faculties, and many universities, our ideas are shouted down or cut off or threatened by assault and battery. Politicians routinely paint us as mean-spirited extremists. When he was president, Barack Obama said, Stop just hating all the time to the Republican caucus. Quote of the president's. We thought he was the most liberal or left wing president this country had ever had. We have now Joe Biden, who is more left wing. He calls us the party of Jim Crow, radicalism, and the party of extremism. Folks, my pitch, my plea is that we should not and cannot apologize. Yes, we are conservatives who constitute the membership of the party that exists to implement principles of conservatism. And I want to talk about that when we come right back. We will be right back. 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. We're discussing and distilling what is a Republican based on some calls of the past few days. I was making the point that politicians routinely paint us as mean-spirited extremists. We should not and cannot apologize. Yes, we are conservatives who constitute the membership of the party. But the party, we must remember, exists to implement principles, principles of conservatism. The term conservative comes from the Latin word conservare which means to keep safe, to maintain, to preserve. As Bill Bennett and John Cribb put it, conservatives want to preserve society's best values and wisdom. The value that conservatives strive to maintain aren't new. Most have been around for a very long time, passed down from generation to generation because they make life worth living. Values like love your neighbor as yourself and honesty is the best policy. Virtues such as self-discipline, generosity, gratitude. When we forget or neglect these things, individual lives unravel and civilizations can even come apart. When conservatives step back and look at the world, when they study human activity and history, 
they see a pattern. The pattern is a set of truths that run through all of time, principles about how best to live and treat our fellow human beings. These principles aren't truths that each person invents for himself or herself. They are universal standards of right and wrong, or what our declaration called the laws of nature and nature's God. They were in operation before you were born, and they will be around long after you die. The Ten Commandments, found in the biblical books of Exodus and Deuteronomy, are some of the greatest and most famous examples of such timeless moral laws. No better code of conduct has ever been written. When people follow principles like thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, their lives tend to be fulfilling, meaningful, and good. When people break them, bad things happen, generally. Conservatives recognize that enduring moral truths exist, and they are concerned with preserving ways that help us all live up to them. But we don't claim to be morally superior to everyone else. Like everyone else, we too are imperfect creatures. We also realize that the world is a complicated place and that applying principles to life requires judgment and that sometimes there are exceptions to rules. For example, killing is generally wrong, but sometimes, for example, in war, killing is necessary, or perhaps for self-defense or the defense of another, But we take an innocent other. But we take history seriously, don't we, or should? We know there is much to be learned from the long record of human experience. It reveals both the possibilities and limitations of human nature. History contains much inhumanity and misery, no doubt. Yet an honest reading shows that despite some tremendous blots, the achievement of Western civilization, this one, and the United States in particular, stands high. None of this means we should conserve everything that's old. Just because something is old doesn't make it good any more than just because something is new makes it good. Sometimes old ideas, such as ancient prejudices, need to be rejected. Values are worth protecting only if they do good. Preserving society's best values and wisdom lies at the heart of conservatism, but there's more to it than that. In America, being conservative involves a commitment to the principles principles upon which this country was founded, ideals found in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Federalist Papers, and other writings, ideals such as that all people are created equal and that all have the right to think and speak freely. Conservatives believe that these founding principles have made the United States a powerful force for good in the world. Although there is no neat and tidy list of American conservative beliefs, there are several ideas that conservatives tend to agree with. One way to remember these ideas, Bill Bennett and John Cribb postulate, is flint. The word flint. Free enterprise, limited government, individual liberty, national defense, and traditional values. These five concepts are critical for understanding American, Republican, or conservative thought. Now, George Nash wrote, the conservative, wrote a book called The Conservative Intellectual Movement in America. And he wrote this. In 1945, no articulate, coordinated, co- 
excuse me, no articulate, no articulate, coordinated, conservative intellectual force existed in the United States. There were at the most scattered voices of protest, profoundly pessimistic about the future of their country and convinced that they were a forlorn, isolated remnant, standing athwart history, yelling stop. Gradually, during the first post-war decade, these voices multiplied. They acquired an audience and began to generate an intellectual movement. In the beginning, there was not one right-wing renaissance, but three, each reacting in diverse ways to challenges from the left. The first of these groupings consisted of libertarians and classical liberals resisting the threat of the ever-expanding state to individual liberty, free market capitalism, and individual initiative. Convinced in the 1940s that America was rapidly drifting toward expanded state planning and socialism, toward what Frederick Hayek called the road to serfdom, these intellectuals offered a powerful defense of free market economics that achieved some influence by the 1950s. It became more and more prominent over the years, and the Reagan administration's policies of tax rate cutting, deregulation, and encouragement of the private sector's economic growth, they are the direct product of this rich intellectual history. Concurrently and independently of the libertarians, a second school of new, excuse me, a second school of non-liberal thought emerged in America, the new conservatism or traditionalism. It was represented by such intellectuals as Peter Virick and Richard Weaver and Robert Nisbet and Russell Kirk. Shocked by totalitarianism, total war, and the development of secular, rootless, mass society in the 30s and 1940s, these new conservatives, as they were called, urged a return to traditional religious and ethical absolutes and a rejection of the moral relativism which had allegedly corroded Western values and produced an intolerable vacuum filled by demonic ideologies and pseudo-religions. More generally, European-oriented and historically-minded than the classical liberals, the traditional conservatives extolled the wisdom of European thinkers like Edmund Burke and Alexis de Tocqueville, and it called for a revival of Christian orthodoxy, classical natural law, pre-modern political philosophy, and mediating institutions between citizen and state. I will give you the third wave of conservative thought when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960, coming to you live from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. We've been talking through the three waves of conservatism and the Republican Party in the modern era, and I'm now about to embark on the third. This is based on a series of calls that I thought were worth addressing at length over the last few days. In the 1940s and 1950s, a militant, evangelistic anti-communism shaped decisively by a number of ex-communists and ex-Trotskyites of the 1930s, including Whitaker Chambers, James Burnham, Frank Meyer, and many more came to the fore. It was also reinforced by a number of articulate anti-communist exiled scholars from Eastern and Central Europe. These former men of the left and their European emigre allies brought to the post-war right a profound conviction that the West was engaged in a titanic struggle 
with an implacable adversary, communism, and it sought nothing less than the conquest of the world. Each of these emerging components of the conservative revival shared a deep antipathy to 20th century liberalism. To the libertarians, modern liberalism was the ideology of the ever-aggrandizing bureaucratic welfare state, which would, if unchecked, become the totalitarian state, destroying individual liberty and private property. To the traditionalists, liberalism was a, it was a, it was a disintegrative philosophy, which, like an acid, was eating away at the ethical and institutional foundations of traditional society thereby creating a vast spiritual vacuum into which totalitarianism could enter. To the Cold War anti-communists, modern liberalism, rationalistic, relativistic, secular, anti-traditional, quasi-socialist, was by its very nature incapable of vigorously resisting an enemy on its left. Liberalism, to them, was part of the left and could not effectively repulse a foe with which it shared so many underlying assumptions. As James Burnham eventually would put it, liberalism was essentially a means for reconciling the West to its own destruction. That's an important concept. Reconciling the West to its own destruction. We kind of think of that here as kind of managing the decline, but reconciling the West to its own destruction. Liberalism was the ideology of Western suicide. During the late 1950s and the early 1960s, these independent wings of conservative revolt against the left began to kind of cohere, coalesce. The movement found its first popular embodiment in National Review and William Buckley, who, apart from his extraordinary talents, kind of personified each impulse in the developing coalition. He was at once a traditional Roman Catholic, a defender of the free market, and a staunch anti-communist. Then came two other schools, Straussians and neoconservatives. They're lumped together often, usually by the left, but they are very different. They are also, to me, the most interesting— Straussians, led by the refugee Leo Strauss, refugee from Germany, revived classical political philosophy from the likes of Aristotle and Plato, and he merged it with the best of Judeo-Christian ethics, forming what is known as the, the axis of Athens and Jerusalem. From Leo Strauss, you get his most famous of students, like Harry Jaffa, my teacher, Alan Bloom, Walter Burns, and Hadley Arcus. Then you have, starting in the late, teen, in the late 1960s, neoconservatism. It was not about foreign or defense policy. I know it's spoken of that way now. It was not originally such. It was a group of disaffected liberals who saw the wreckage of the great society, LBJ's great society. They saw the wreckage of LBJ on domestic issues like crime, family, welfare, and what they did was they applied rigorous social science to prove and show the wreckage. Irving Kristol, Norman Podhoritz, James Wilson, William Bennett, Michael Novak, they were some of the famous ones in this group. Sometimes people would put Daniel Moynihan in there before he returned to liberalism in that group as well. I'll give a concluding thought on that and explore the, the rest with you when we come back. Happy to take your call. 602 508 0960. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. March 26th, put it on your calendars. We're doing Fighting for Freedom. We're bringing uh, Mike Gallagher in and Brandon Tatum, Officer Tatum, and I. The three of us will be on stage. We've got some other guests coming as well. You will enjoy them, I promise you. And we're going to talk about the issues uh, facing us this election. Uh, you can get tickets for this great event at 960thepatriot.com. We're keeping it, you know, relatively small so that we can interact with you. We'll speak and take your Q&A, and we'll listen to your Q&A yourselves. want to hear from you as well. 960thepatriot.com to get your tickets. We do a, as is our custom, giveaway every week. So if you want to enter for a free pair of tickets, you can email David, my producer, David Dahl. His email is ddahl at salemphx.com, ddahl at salemphx.com. Just put, you know, something like FFF, Fighting for Freedom, in the subject line or anything that uh, allows us to asymptotically understand clearly what you are indicating. Asymptotically? Asymptotically. And I just, and I was just about to impress you with the fact that I remembered aleatory. Yes. And now you're pulling asymptotes. All right, all right, all right. Remedial education. Remedial education. Now that you uh, are comfortable with aleatory, go ahead and use it in a sentence relevant to this event. You know, I, I, uh, I've, I've shared clips of the show with my mother, and recently she's been catching on that you're berating me for my language, and she happens to have a. a an English as a secondary language background, as a, as a professor of English as a secondary language for background. And she wanted me to let you know, and I don't even know what she's saying. So this could be the largest of insults, but she wanted me to let you know that she is a sesquipedalian <laughs> libro-cubicularist. You got that? Yeah. I say bring her on. Bring it on. Have her call in. Let her challenge the big guy. Let's go. Uh-huh. Bring it on. Let's. I'm up for this. William Buckley. English was William Buckley's second language. Did you know that? His first was French. Spanish. Spanish. Yeah. Spanish. Yeah. Bring it on. Isn't bring the professor on. I will take all comers. All, all, all coming in. Bring them on. <laughs> she wants to. Yeah. Let's do this. Yeah, sure. We'll yeah. just get her to the call rumble in. When she's in not the, teaching. Huh? I said we'll get her to call in when she's not teaching. Usually yeah. she's teaching. It needs a hours. name. The event. Clips. Yeah, the, the event needs a name. Like what was it? The rumble in the jungle? Yeah. Right? It was Ali. It, yeah. need, it needs to be Beautiful. something like the defenestration in the desert or something. <laughs> that's good, actually. Yeah, that's yeah, really that's good. not bad off yeah, the top. Yeah, yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. We, we we spoke of your mom because she was present for that terrible shooting. Right? Yeah, and that's yeah. why I said she is teaching usually around this time. So I send her clips, and yeah. she's been begun to catch on. Why that, do you uh, Why do you send her clips where I berate you rather than because that's the only where, times that I'm on air? It's not true. We did big <laughs> praise of you earlier in the week once, I, and she heard that too. Okay, yeah. all right. But you know, she's often. Busy teaching ethics. Well, I'm often busy, but I'll English talk to, to her. secondary learners I'll, and I'll things ta- like that. All right. I'll talk to her. All, all right. Well, I'll tell her to call in. Yeah, bring it on. That could be I'll a fun battle. I'll see what she's up to this afternoon or and tomorrow. Yeah. I don't something. know how we construct this throwdown, but we'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll make promos. and We'll see how many <laughs> sentences, how many, how many 75 cents words you can put into a sentence and define them or something. I, I have a feeling... The shirts upstairs, the suits upstairs are thinking, 
Oh, great. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is when people start discovering things called NPR. This is, yeah, this is what yeah. they call a tune-out factor, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. 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 Talk to Mark about this. Maybe he doesn't want this so much. Oh, my goodness. All right. So we talked about the various waves of conservatism in the Republican Party. If you're on hold, I'll get right to you in a moment. I just want to conclude with one thing. Harry Jaffa, my teacher, Leo Strauss's student. Here's the end story, folks. Here's the end of it. It would certainly seem that the salvation of the West must come, if it is to come, from the United States. The salvation of the United States, if it is to come, must come from the Republican Party. And the salvation of the Republican Party, if it is to come, must come from the conservative movement within it. And the salvation of the conservative movement, if it is to come, must come from the renewal and reaffirmation of the principles of the American founding, embodied above all in the Declaration of Independence. That, to me, is conservatism. And that, to me, is the Republican Party. And that, to me, is America. And that, if you read your history and look at the original Republican Party platforms, is what you get. That's what it means to be a Republican, Charlie Brown. Thank you. All right. Mark is in Gilbert. Hello, Mark. Hey, Seth. Wondering what you thought about uh, when Rachel Mitchell said she wasn't going to send over that murder to New York because they don't like how, oh, excuse me, uh, they don't like how uh, that New York treats criminals and releases them. They responded with saying that Phoenix has a double the murder rate than New York City. And I wonder what you would respond to that. That Phoenix has double the murder rate? Yeah, and that, you know, they were castigating her, saying, hey, she doesn't know what she's talking about, and, you know, we're fine. We know that's not true, but I wondered what that what the response to that would be. Well, I don't know if our murder rate is equivalent to Phoenix or not. Uh, excuse me, if our murder rate is equivalent to New York City's or not. I just don't know. I don't know off the top of my head. I would venture to say that our violent crime rate is probably not half or uh, uh, twice. I would venture to say New York City's violent crime rate is not half of that of Phoenix's. That would be my guess. I would also have to research it, but that would be my guess. One of the things you find when you seriously study uh, criminal statistics is that the left side of this stuff likes to isolate one crime out of the category of violent crime. And the murder rate is one of those categories in the entire rate of violent crime. So that I, I'm, I'm only guessing because I, you know, I, 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 I have not done a dive on this, much less a deep dive on this. So it's it's based on a guess. But that would be my guess. It's probably a good guess. I mean, we I know, know I, think, I, I really think it is. Let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. Would you feel safer? Because, you know, with all thy getting, we get understanding. But with all thy losing, let's not lose our common sense. Would you feel more comfortable walking alone at 11 o'clock at night or midnight and getting onto a... a subway in New York City, if you were a woman, 
or getting on a bus in Phoenix, Arizona, if you were a woman? Just ask yourself that question. I think it answers itself. I really do. But let's take a look. We'll take a look. Um, As Dennis Prager says, you know, we want clarity more than agreement. And if they're right, they're right. If they're right, they're right. We'll follow the truth. Because if you follow the truth, you will win. But something tells me I would rather live in a city with the prosecutor as Rachel Mitchell than a city where the prosecutor is Alvin Bragg. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, brought to you in part by our good friends at Y-Refi. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-24. They offer an investment in a secure and collateralized portfolio that gives you, of course, a monthly statement with no surprises, where you get peace of mind, where there's no attack on principle if you ever need your money back. And with Y-Refi, there are absolutely no fees. You can turn your income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like. And best of all, you can earn up to a ten and a quarter percent fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. Check them out, as I say, at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. You can also visit them in person. Their offices are right on Chauncey Lane in North Phoenix. And um, if you do go visit them in person, you won't get a sales pitch. They leave that up to me. You won't be asked to sign a thing. If you don't, check them out at invest. Yrefi.com. Um, speaking of different kinds of crimes, this is just so interesting to me, the way the media is covering um, how uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump are um, having border visits today. Well, first of all, it's an interesting point that Joe Biden thinks he needs to visit the border of a sudden. This is new. And I suppose it's a success that we got him to do that. The Biden administration reversed many of the Trump era policies that reduced illegal immigration. And illegal immigration is now the number one issue on voters' minds. Do you think that has anything to do with Joe Biden suddenly going to the border? Uh, For example, listen to this. Total convictions for DUI among those apprehended decreased every year under Trump. Every year. But they jumped to almost 2,500 last year. Since 2021, the Border Patrol has recorded over 43,000 arrests of illegal aliens with criminal backgrounds. Do you want to know something? That's a 99% increase of over the entirety of the Trump administration. Think about that. Just this last uh, quarter, agents were catching over 47 aliens with serious criminal histories per day, per day. The deputy chief patrol agent for Yuma sector right here said any crime that can be committed, we do encounter people who have committed them. Nearly two million known and unknown gotaways have crossed without being apprehended under Joe Biden. Think about that. Two million gotaways. That make you feel good about this president? I'm Seth. We'll be right back.